All right, we're going to have fun today doing the Passover Seder. Seder means order. So this is the order of the service that they sell, the Jewish people celebrate. Now, you know, I, I told you this a couple weeks ago, that the Passover is the oldest continuously observed holiday in the human race, having continued for how many years? Anybody remember? How long has, has it been since the first, the original Passover? 3,500 years. The 4th of July is not that old. <laughs> um, do they celebrate the 4th of July in Europe? <laughs> it's ours alone, isn't it? Yeah. It's, the Passover is older than Christmas and resurrection. It is the oldest continuously. Now, there was a while when they didn't celebrate. Remember, we discussed that. And... Um, our little friend here knew which king <laughs> brought it back. But during the judges and some of the kings, they, did, they neglected to celebrate the Passover. But by and large, it's been celebrated a long, long time. It's the first of seven God-given holy days. That's where holiday comes from, you know, holy days, Jewish feasts. And we know that the Passover has a historical setting because we've been studying that. In our Old Testament Christological study, um, on the night of the Passover, the Israelites who had been divinely preserved in the womb of Egypt and also had divinely multiplied, because their multiplication was of God, wasn't it? That they grew in such numbers while they were even slaves. We found that they were also divinely liberated, freed, delivered from their bondage. And so when you study, <clears throat> excuse me, the Passover in the Bible, you find out that it includes actually two different yet similar celebrations. There was, of course, the original Passover, the one, you know, right before they were delivered from Egypt. And then ever since, there has been the celebration of the memorial Passover, just like there was one Calvary, but ever since we have remembered we memorialize what the lord did on calvary by what the lord's the lord's supper when we take the lord's supper now on the original passover this is just a little bit of a review the head of each jewish household was to select a lamb and it was to be a yearling at least a year old he was to select it on the 10th of what month nisan remember the car originally called the month of Abib, and that lamb was to be examined carefully. Of course, the family came to love the little creature for the next three and a half days to make sure that it was indeed without blemish and spotless. And then, sadly, it had to be killed on the, what day? 14th, very good, the 14th of Nisan in the evening, which was between 3 and 5 p.m., and the blood of this lamb was then sprinkled uh, with hyssop, which this is, of course, parsley because I couldn't get hold of hyssop. Anybody know where to buy hyssop? <laughs> I don't know. But they would take it and, uh, you know, dip it in the blood, and then they wiped the blood on the uh, lintel, the top part of the doors of their homes, and then the side posts. And, of course, those two marks form a cross. 
Um, And then God said that when he saw the blood, he would do what? He would pass over. That's in Exodus 12, 13. Now, this was true. He would pass over not only every Jewish home that had the blood applied to the doors, but also over every Egyptian home that had the blood. If they listened to their Jewish neighbors or their Jewish slaves and did what God had proclaimed, they too would be spared the death of all their firstborns. And, of course, after the lamb was killed, he was to be roasted whole and eaten. No leftovers, eaten in entirety. And they were not to break any bones of the lamb. The original Passover in Egypt was a once-for-all-time event. Just like Calvary, once-for-all-time. Only occurred once. It was actually a sin-offering sacrifice. The Lord said, it is the Passover sacrifice to me, to the Lord. Um, the, the destroyer would not take the firstborns. The Passover, we talked about this last time. The Passover and really the whole Exodus was the gospel before the gospel, wasn't it? You know, the Passover, same day as Christ, the Passover lamb died, the, the 14th of Nisan. Then he went into the earth for three days, just like they went down into the Red Sea. That's kind of the baptism part. And then he came up out of the, out of the earth on the third day. They, they arose on the other side. That pictures the resurrection. So you have all three aspects of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, even in the Exodus. Actually, the the whole purpose of the Passover in Egypt was to prophesy of the coming of Christ. That's the whole purpose for that picture, isn't it? And the deliverance. It was a picture of God's son, the seed of the woman. And, of course, we know in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time was come, uh, Christ was proclaimed by God through Israel's last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, he was proclaimed to be the Lamb of God, which cometh to take away the sins of the world. And he was examined for three and a half years, wasn't he? During, that's the time of his earthly ministry. He was examined and found to be completely sinless, spotless, without blemish. Even his enemies could find no fault in him. He was killed on the very day of the Passover, even though that's the one day the religious rulers did not want to kill him uh, the whole year. Yet that was the day he was orchestrated to die, right? So he gave up his own spirit at exactly what time? The very same time they were killing the lambs in the temple for the Passover, 3 p.m. And not a bone of his body was broken, was it? Even though he was pierced through, not a bone was broken just like the original lamb. And like the original Passover, his sacrifice was once for all. Once for all. It was a once for all event. He is the once for all sin offering. But the Passover was not only a sacrifice, a sin substitute sacrifice. It was also a meal. They were to eat the lamb, weren't they? They were to intake it. And, and they had it with bitter herbs and, you know, the, the unleavened bread. So it was not only a sacrifice, it was, it was a, a meal. It became the basis for what is known in the law as the peace offering. 
So the sacrifice was the sin offering. The meal was the peace offering. Only the people who were protected from sure death by their faith in the blood of the lamb uh, were at peace with God. And this was pictured by the Passover meal that they ate together. You know, the Lord dismissed Judas before they had their meal together at the, the night of the Last Supper, which was on the Passover. Judas did not make his peace with God, did he? So he did not partake of the peace offering, the meal. The meal is a picture of our fellowship with our Lord. First, the sin offering, and that's, of course, when the blood is applied, when you're born again and you trust in the Lord, you apply the perfect sinless blood of Christ basically to the doorpost of your heart, right? First of all, the sin offering, and then you have the peace offering. We can sup with him. You know, you invite him in and he promises he will sup with us because we've made our peace with God. Well, ever since the, the original Passover, there has been or should have been among the Jewish people, the celebration of the memorial Passover. This year, the 14th of Nisan was not that long ago. It was on April 20th, right? This year, it was right about the same time we were celebrating Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's so hard not to say Easter, isn't it? But Resurrection Day, people look at you crazy. You know, you go to the checkout counter and they say, have a happy Easter. And I go, yeah, you have a happy Resurrection Day too. <laughs> okay, lady, whatever. I mean, they forget what it's all about, don't they? Uh, and this, of course, is the, to have the memorial uh, Passover is in obedience to God's command of Exodus twelve fourteen, where he said, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance for how long? Forever. That's why I said, you know, we probably will be doing this, you and I, even, in the millennial kingdom, which I think is a great idea. I have been so motivated to do this with my grandchildren Probably every year. It's fun. God does everything in pictures because we are his children. And not only does he do things in pictures in the Bible, he does things really in pictures. And he uses our senses. You know, he gave us our five senses. So we have the sense of, you know, tasting and uh, feeling and what else? Hearing and seeing. <laughs> I can't think of all the senses. <laughs> Smelling. Yeah. All the senses are involved in this. And they sing a lot of songs. It's really fun. We had a good time yesterday because we had a lot of kids that came in and participated. And it's a family thing. You know, you get your whole family. You get grandma and grandpa and you get all the cousins in there, right? And it's fun. And I think the church should do this for Resurrection Day. Don't you? Maybe some of your churches do. I think it's wonderful. Undo it for Christmas and explain everything. It'd just be wonderful. God didn't want his people to forget what he had done for them. He did not want to forget how he liberated them by his mighty hand from their bondage in Egypt. So he wanted them to perpetuate the original Passover through an annual reenactment of that first Passover by way of a ceremony that I said would appeal to the senses of, of every person in attendance. Now, for the church, you know, the Lord, he really, that last Passover when he knew he was going to die, and that last night, the night of the Last Supper, we call it, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he was really longing to celebrate that last Passover with his family. 
with his disciples. We know this because in Luke twenty two fifteen, he said, with desire, I have desired. That means I have really been longing to do this. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So it meant a lot to him because he was not only going to celebrate all. I mean, he'd waited by that time. He'd waited 1,500 years. He'd waited a long time to show them how all this Passover stuff had pointed to him. It was all about him. This is my blood. This is my body broken for you. And what he did is he took the Passover and he transitioned it into the Lord's Supper, didn't he? And we did a study on that, and it's fascinating, and we're going to tie the two together this morning as we go through the Seder. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are also to look back at the deliverance. We're to look back at what he did for us in delivering us, just like the, the Israelites were look, to look back at what he did for them with the Exodus. So when we take the Lord's Supper, there's really three things we are supposed to do. It's supposed to be retrospective when we look back in remembrance for what he did for us. Then introspective. Aren't we supposed to examine ourselves and make sure there's no leaven in us? And then it's also prospective because we're to look ahead to the future and when he will come again. And we will drink this fourth cup with him in the kingdom, the cup of acceptance. So, the you know, there's a lot in similarity between the Passover and the, and the Lord's Supper that we celebrate. So what we want to do is quickly rehearse what the Jewish people do as they remember the Passover, the original Passover. But as we do it, we want to see it as more than just a memorial of that first Egyptian Passover. The celebration, the Seder, the order of what they go through is actually an incredible typological prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sad thing is that they've been doing this for 3,500 years and yet they miss how everything points to their true Messiah the true Lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ but you and I aren't going to miss it our eyes have been open there's most of them not all of them and more and more Jewish people are coming to know the Lord praise praise God for that Um, but most of them simply do not see it So, since 70 AD, that was approximately 40 years after Christ's death, what happened to the Jewish temple? It was destroyed, and the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth by the Romans. They came in, and they destroyed the temple. And so ever since 70 AD, the people have been left without a temple, without a priesthood, and without an altar. Since that time to this day, the Passover feast is celebrated with something that is conspicuously missing. (laughs) And what is it? A lamb. Doesn't it center on the lamb? Yeah, but ever since, they can't have a lamb because they don't have a temple to sacrifice the lamb. So ever since, I said yesterday, it's like having a birthday party without the birthday cake. (laughs) Um, There is, however... um, on what is called the Seder plate, and that would be this plate right here, which I can't turn sideways for you to see, but this is a Seder plate. 
and it's got little uh, indentions or little cups. I don't know what you call those little things. <laughs> Sections. <laughs> yeah, and each one's labeled so I knew where to put everything. But um, there, there is no lamb. All that we have on the Seder plate is a shank bone of a lamb. I'll not lift it up purposely. I'm not supposed to lift it up, and I'll explain why. So if you can't see it, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's as high as I'm going to lift it. But there is a lamb shank bone that is, uh, has no meat on it, and it is to remind them of the Passover sacrifice back in temple times, which is no longer possible because they don't have a temple. Now, as soon as they get a temple, what do you think they'll start doing? Sacrificing a lamb again. Um, so for the past 2,000 years, the Jewish authorities, the rabbis, have told the people that the unleavened bread, the matzo, which I have inside this bag and I'll show you later, but you know what a matzah cracker looks like, a big square matzah cracker. They say that the unleavened bread, and matzo means without bitterness or without sourness, that it takes the place, the matzah takes the place of the Passover lamb. Now, that's important, so remember that. We'll get back to that. Also on the plate, and some have three Seder plates. This plate that Bailey Cole got for us from Jerusalem, I think, it's brand new and it's beautiful, um, has a little place for everything. So I put all the ingredients on one, but some Jewish people have actually three different plates. Here we just have it all on one. But also on it, along with the lamb shank bone, are to be some bitter herbs. And I have horseradish. That's pretty bitter. <laughs> um, to remind the Jews of their, the bitterness, their bitterness when they were in bondage. Then there's some parsley greenery that they usually use, which is on the plate. And that is to serve the Jews. Mine is getting kind of wilted. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to remind them uh, it's a symbol of the newness of life and springtime because Passover always occurs in the springtime furthermore parsley is a symbol for the hyssop that they use to apply the blood to the doorposts of their homes in Egypt now as Christians we know that the hyssop also points to Jesus the Passover lamb, who was offered bitter vinegar to drink. That it had, they had used hyssop, dipped it in the vinegar, and held it up to his lips to drink from. In John nineteen twenty nine, he, the Lord, took all the bitterness of sin and bondage to sin and death upon himself for you and I, didn't he? Now. The third plate, if we had a third plate, but on this one right here, um, also contains a little bowl with water mixed with vinegar and salt. And this has all three. I put them all in there. There's some vinegar and there's some salt in there. Again, the vinegar is to remind them of the, um, the, the bitterness of, of what they went through when they were in bondage. The salt reminds them of the tears that were shed by the Jewish people under bondage. Remember how they were groaning and moaning and sighing and calling out to God and crying because of all their suffering. We know, too, that the vinegar is significant because it was also offered to the Lord Jesus, wasn't it? 
Now, there's another interesting thing on the Seder plate, and that's a hard-boiled egg. See it? Hard-boiled egg. Um, it is never eaten. Well, I can't say never. Maybe some kids get hold of it and eat it. I don't know. But it is not painted. It isn't colored, you know, like an Easter egg. It just sits there on the Seder plate. There it is, the egg. Uh, why is an egg on the Seder plate? It was certainly not included in God's commandment for the memorial Passover celebration. He only gave three instructions for the Passover Seder plate, didn't he? The, the lamb, the bitter herbs, and the... Um, went brilliant. And the, yeah, the unleavened bread. Yeah, the matzah. Those are the only three. So what in the world is this egg doing on the Seder plate? Uh, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, have no answer for this question. Uh, this mysterious egg. They, how in the world did it get there? But guess what? Christians don't have an explanation for why their children paint and color and look for eggs at Easter time, do they? And where did that bunny come from? Why, you know, what does an egg, I mean, you can say, <laughs> no, bunnies don't lay eggs. If you know your biology, bunnies do not lay eggs. <laughs> I think that this mystery egg came into Judaism just like it slipped into Christianity, and it comes from Babylonianism, going way back again to the Tower of Babel. If you weren't here with us when we start, you know, studied where all the mystery Babylonian religion came from, came from Babel, and Nimrod, who was in the one in, who um, started the building project, his wife was Semiramis, and she declared herself to be the queen of heaven, and said that she had come down from heaven in a giant egg. So, so there's the egg. Still, just can't get rid of that egg, can't we? <laughs> now, also found on the Seder plate, another thing not commanded by God, is the sweet brownish karoset mixture, if I'm pronouncing that right. It was, and I was given apples by Bailey to make my own karoset, which was apples and honey and wine, and I would have to cook the apples, and I was just lazy, so I used jiffy, crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> because it was supposed to, it's supposed to symbolize the red clay of Egypt that they used, that they had to use to um, make bricks for Pharaoh's building project. So peanut butter looks like clay, and it tastes fine. I love peanut butter. The sweet taste of this mixture is symbolic of the sweetness of Israel's deliverance from her slavery. Now, I don't know if you can see the pillow I have on this chair, but everybody's, you know, at the table, the, the table where they're having going to have their meal. First of all, they go through the Seder process. But on every chair around the table is a pillow, a throw pillow or a bed pillow or whatever. Um, and that is to serve as a reminder of the fact that Israel's forefathers as slaves in Egypt were not, allowed to recline while they ate. They were slaves. They had to be standing while the family they were serving would be seated, and they had to be ready to serve them. Or on the night of the original Passover, they didn't even recline as they ate the original Passover meal, did they? 
because they had to be ready for when Moses perhaps blew a shofar and said, okay, Pharaoh has said we can depart. (laughs) Let's line up and get out of here quick before he changes his mind. I've tried and I can't get this thing to blow for anything, but somebody wants to practice, you're going to be my, I'm not sure it really works, but I guess I don't know what I'm doing. So they couldn't, they couldn't um, take their time and leisurely eat their meal. But now they are free men and the pillow represents that they can eat leisurely in comfort and in safety. You know, the night of the Lord's Supper, they were not sitting at the table like the painting of the Last Supper. Is that by Michelangelo? The famous painting of the Last Supper. They weren't sitting. They were actually reclining. They would, they would lay and um, rest their heads on their left arm and eat with their right hand. And so Jesus would be laying there with his feet kind of behind him. And John was on this side of him. And John was right near the Lord's head. That's why he was able to whisper to the Lord, you know, who is it? When he talk, talked about the, um, the betrayer, he was right there and he could just whisper to him real easily. Judas was on the other side of the Lord. But they were reclining while they ate that last, uh, that last Passover meal together. Well, now we're going to actually open the service. You wondered when we get there, right? All right, first of all, I'm going to make a mess because all this stuff is so fun for the kids, but it's a reminder. It's pictures. You put a little, what are they supposed to do before the Passover? What were they supposed to do? Where did we get this thing about spring cleaning from? (laughs) They were supposed to go through their homes and remove every little bit of leaven, weren't they? Every little spot of leaven. So I brought some flour. I cheated. It's not leaven, but I'm going to make a mess and Joan is going to get to clean it up. <laughs> so they actually do this. This is before they open the, the Passover Seder, the service, and they have the mama. I guess it's always the mama. I don't know if the daddy does it. <laughs> that, might, that wouldn't be politically correct, would it? And so she's sweeping up. Make sure you get every little bit. Every little bit. And this, of course, pictures very good. What are you going to do with it? This is to remind us how important it is that we are to get rid of all the sin in our lives, you know, to do our best to get rid of all the sin in our lives. And then to open the service, the matriarch of the family, that would be the old lady, Terry Doby. Whether it's the grandmother or the mother or the great-grandmother, she comes and um, recites, she's supposed to, she can't do this, but she's supposed to cover her eyes and recite a prayer while she lights the candle. So we'll see how. Okay, and then she, and then everybody bows and she says a prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and whose name we light the festival lights. And then the host, who is the father or the grandfather, says, As light for the festival of redemption is kindled by the hand of a woman, we remember that our Redeemer, the light of the world, came into the world as the promised seed of the woman. So the woman actually officially opens up the Passover Seder.
Now, then the father raises his glass, and everybody at the table would have these four glasses of the fruit of the vine, which is the Jews always mix their wine with four parts water. So it would be impossible to really get intoxicated. And um, he, would, he would lift, and I don't know if they do that today. They probably drink the real thing. But back in the Lord's time, the father would raise the first glass and chant a prayer of sanctification. And I'm not going to recite all these prayers because it would take quite a while. We'd be here several hours. I think it takes several hours to go through the whole thing. But um, that it, this would have been exactly the same way that Jesus, who served as the host that final Passover, this would be the same way he would have opened up that, that last um, memorial service he celebrated the night before his crucifixion. So prayer of sanctification, and then everyone together sips their fruit of the vine. This happens to be an ice drink. <laughs> you know what that is? It has zero calories, zero <laughs> carbs, zero taste. <laughs> So, and that is called the cup of what? It's cup of sanctification. That's the first cup. Oops. Okay, and then that, go, that corresponds. Remember those um, promises of God that we studied? It was actually one of your homework questions that you studied about his, I will do this for you and I will do that in Exodus chapter 6. This corresponds with the first promise where he said, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Well, next, a small towel and a bowl of water are brought forth. Yeah, I have to move my microphone. So we're trying to record this, so if anybody wants it, they can get it. So I have here a bowl of water and a towel, and the host dips his fingers into the bowl and then dries them with the towel. It was at this point in the Passover that the Lord celebrated with his men that he did something that surprised them. He got up from his reclining position at the table, took off his outer garment, <clears throat> and he actually gird himself in the towel. It's probably bigger than this kitchen towel with a little cute bird on it. <laughs> but he girded himself in the towel of a slave. And what was really strange about his action is that instead of simply carrying the wash basin from person to person around the table for them to wash their hands and dry their hands. What did he do? He got down on his knees and he washed their feet one by one. And that just really shocked them. It was a lesson in true servanthood, wasn't it? Well, after the washing of the hands or the feet, in the Lord's case, then came the first dipping of the food. The bitter herb was uh, dipped into salt water and vinegar. Okay, uh, who wants to eat this for me? <laughs> I'm going to dip this little bit of parsley in the salt water and vinegar. The Talmud says, just as parsley dipped in salt water tastes uh, sweet at first, I don't think it will. <laughs> and then bitter. <laughs> yeah, it tastes bitter all along. 
I don't know what was sweet about that, but first of all, it's supposed to taste sweet and then bitter. So was Israel's experience in Egypt. At first, they were treated well, weren't they? First of all, it was sweet. When Joseph's kind Pharaoh invited them to come into Egypt and you know, be spared from the famine, and he gave them the best land, the best of the, the land of Goshen. But later on, they, they overstayed their welcome, but things got um, embittered when they became slaves. So now everybody's supposed to dip their parsley in. <clears throat> I really wish I could spit it out. I'm going to swallow. That's a good idea. not good okay now the host uh, focuses attention on the on the unity okay this is what is called the unity this um, white linen pouch that has three sections to it three little envelope sections and in each one there is a wafer of the unleavened bread. See that? And Bailey got us an official one from Jerusalem. Isn't it beautiful? Beautiful. This is called the unity. Now, there are always three matzahs in the unity. Never two, never four, never any other number, but three. And the rabbis do not know why. I mean, I don't think it's very difficult to figure out. It's called a unity, right? But they think that it has, and they've given all kinds of explanations over the centuries as to why there are three matzahs in the unity. They say it must have something to do with the three groupings of Jewish people. You've got, do I have parsley in my teeth? <laughs> they have um, they say there's the, the Levites and the priests and then the common people you know Israel at large or they say maybe they stand for our three patriarchs Abraham, Isaac and Jacob but they know that they're straining with those interpretations and others that they have come up with the matzo <clears throat> they do understand that the matzo symbolizes the unleavened bread that they were to eat and bake and eat in a hurry when they left Egypt. Well, the host at this point in time takes out the middle, I'm going into the middle envelope, takes out the middle wafer and he breaks it in half. And again, the rabbis have no rational explanation for why they do this. And then he takes half of the matzo and he places it in another little white linen bag by itself, puts it in there, and then it is hidden away in the room somewhere oh first of all all the children 13 and under would be gone we would get them out of here while she's hiding it okay so they won't see where it's hidden and we're going to call the children in later on and see if they can find them see where she's putting it between two chairs 
We had a little boy yesterday who just made a beeline right. He just, it was like he just knew where it was. He went right to it. <laughs> and he didn't know till he got there either. It was just amazing. Okay. All right. Um, now, uh, so th- that's hidden. Now, this buried, it's hidden. No, no, we don't get them yet. I did that wrong yesterday, so we have to wait a while. Uh, but we would bring the kids back in after she hid it. We, the kids would come back in for the rest of the um, Seder. But this buried, that buried, hidden, middle wafer is called by the Jews the Afikomen. Afikomen. Everybody say that. This is the most important part of the Seder. Afikomen. Okay. Now, what in the world does all this afikomen business mean? Why, to begin with, are there three pieces of matzo included in the unity from which the middle one is removed and broken and hidden? I think if I asked you this as a homework question, you'd all get it right, wouldn't you? (laughs) Because your eyes have been unveiled and you get it, you see it. Um... But this part of the ceremony for the Jews is a very puzzling. <laughs> they just don't get it. Why are, we, why are we doing this? I don't know, but we do it. You know, just like, I don't know why we have the egg, but we just have to have the egg. But they have no idea what. <laughs> and they're, they're curious as to why, because afikomen is a Greek word. How in the world did a Greek word get into a Hebrew celebration? And uh, they are not able to satisfactorily explain why it is always to be that middle wafer, broken, hidden away, in a white napkin. But to us, to Christians, it's easy to see how God is using the elements and even the parts of the Passover Seder to picture his son. The unity represents... The triune Godhead. And the matzah is unleavened, isn't it? That means no sin. All three members of the Trinity are without sin. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, Why is the middle matzah taken out and broken? It represents Jesus Christ, the Son, of course. And he is the one who was broken for you and I. And then why is he... he, um, Hidden in the white napkin. What happened to him after he was broken for us? He was, he was buried, yes. He was wrapped. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea wrapped him in white linen. And then he was hidden away. He was tucked away in the tomb for three days. Uh, now a matzah, if you look at it carefully and closely, the way it is baked produces all these little holes. It's pierced through in stripes. Because the Lord Jesus was, um, it was by his stripes that we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. And Psalm twenty two sixteen tells us how they pierced his hands and his feet. And of course, the whole thing stands for blemishless, sinless. Also, we know, of course, that he was pierced by a Roman spear that, just, that, would, that proved that he died. Now, the broken piece of the middle matzah is wrapped in the white linen, as Jesus was wrapped in for his burial, John 27. And then um, when, when the afikomen is found, now when the kids come in, and whoever finds it over there, 
whichever child finds it, all of you, the minute they find it, you're supposed to rejoice and be very happy. Because when we find out that Jesus rose from the dead for us, aren't we, aren't we rejoicing and happy? And Yes, and he also gets a reward. And our reward is Christ. I forgot to get a dollar. Thank you. What are you thinking ahead? Good thing you went through this yesterday with me. The child who finds it gets a college fund. <laughs> All right. Now, what's interesting is, what was that word again? Af, afikomen. You know what afikomen? The only Greek word in the whole Passover Seder. Do you know what it means? It can be interpreted one of two ways. It can either be translated as he came or the coming one. Huh. First and second comings, right? He did. He came. I got good news for you. He came. And I got really, really good news. He's coming again. <laughs> the coming one. Afikomen. Remember that word. I love two Greek words. Tetelestai. It is finished. And afikomen. He came and he's coming again. Well, after the afikomen is hidden, the children are brought into the room. Go get them. Who's going to get the kids? Wendy, go get, go get the kids. They're brought in the room. And when they're in here, the host would recite an ancient prayer in Aramaic, not Hebrew, but in Aramaic. And then he would hold up, the host would hold up the unleavened bread, and everyone would recite together. Now, you don't have the word, so I'll say it. Here's what we would say together. This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. What was Jesus' invitation? Come and eat of me, you know, symbolically speaking. Let all who are in need come and celebrate Passover. And then they would add this phrase. This year we are here next year in the land of Israel. This year we are slaves next year free men now you say why would they say that because they're free today ah uh, not really not really israel is still living in the times of the gentiles and she really is still in bondage to her sin isn't she and she won't be free until she comes to christ and is spiritually redeemed all right children we have something hidden in this room that looks very much like this, except it's a little bit smaller. It isn't in any of the ladies' purses. It's <laughs> not on the dessert table, but it's somewhere in this room. So the first one to find it gets a reward. Start looking. Start looking. Little boy in the green shirt, start looking. <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't forget to rejoice when somebody. Oh, Terry, you're giving him too many clues. <laughs> okay, good. Is he going to be our reader? Oh, oh, okay. 
Congratulations, you found the Afi Coleman. Uh-huh, thank you. Okay, um, stay here because I think, okay, I told you they're not really free. Okay, they will be free when Christ comes a second time and all Israel will be saved. They will acknowledge him finally as their Messiah. Okay, it's at this point then in the ritual that the youngest son at the table will ask a series of questions, three questions, and this was done in obedience to God's command in Exodus to teach the story of Israel's redemption to thy son. Teach it to the next generation, which is what we should be doing, right? The next generation. That's why this is such a good thing to do with family. Teach the next children, the next generation, all the reasons we're doing this. And so the child, the youngest son come here, would come forward. And if you can, read these four questions for us into this microphone. That would be wonderful. On all the other nights, we eat bread or matzah. That's right, matzah. 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 On this night, why do we eat only matzah? On all the other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we only eat bitter herbs? On all the other nights, why do we not dip our vegetables even once? But on this night, why do we dip them twice? On all the other nights, we only eat our meals sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we eat them only reclining? Very good. Very good. Thank you. I should have had another dollar for him. <laughs> Y'all can come back later and have some cake. <laughs> Maybe, right? If we, if we leave any. We might not leave in. <laughs> okay, thank you. They can stay if you want. They're welcome to stay. All right, um, then in answer to those questions asked by the youngest son, oh, by the way, it was at this point in the Lord's Last Supper with his disciples, right when the youngest son would ask those questions, that John, leaning next to the Lord, And he was the youngest disciple, probably just a teenager, asked the Lord, who is it? Because he had just heard the Lord say, one of you shall betray me. And it was in that precise moment in the Passover Seder that the young, isn't that amazing? Okay, who's orchestrating everything? God is, of course. All right, so then the host will answer the youngest boy's questions by reading from the Haggadah. Now, the Haggadah is the book that goes through the whole Passover Seder. That's how I know what to do, because I read this. And then there's another version that Bailey got me, which is, gives more the Messianic, you know, tells you more about how it all points to Jesus. This is the one the Jews use, and it doesn't really point to Jesus. It does, but they don't know it. Now, you know that they read their books backwards, so that's actually, that's the back of the, that's the front of the book. I mean, this is the back. They read backwards. I think it's backwards. I guess they think we read backwards. But this Haggadah has um, Hebrew on one side, and it's got pictures in it. And um, it's just really fascinating to read all the prayers that they, that they will read because they all point to Christ, and it's just really interesting. But at this point, the host will then answer the little boy's questions by going through, recite either reading it from the Haggadah or reciting from memory the whole redemption story. And he'll begin with the call of Abraham out of 
idolatry in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, this is what we've been doing for two years. You know, we started in Genesis. He'll talk about that, and he'll go through the history of the patriarchs. He'll talk about Joseph. He'll talk about um, all the hardships of the Hebrews in the land of Egypt and um, uh, the punishment of the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. He'll talk like we did last time about the dividing of the Red Sea, that miraculous division and that miracle and how they crossed over on dry land and then how God gave Israel the law when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He rehearses the whole thing. And when he gets to the point where he talks about the ten plagues, which he uses for that, when he mentions the ten plagues, he uses the second cup, which is called the cup of praise. What he does is he drinks some, and everybody drinks with him. And then he mentions the ten plagues one by one. And everybody at their plate has a saucer. And when he calls out each plague, they dip their finger in the fruit of the vine, and they put a drop on the plate. Okay, so it's too bad you're not all sitting because we could do this together. <laughs> but he'll say, a water turned to blood. And so I dip my finger and put one drop of uh, wine on the plate. Okay, then frogs, another drop. Lice, uh, swarms, diseased cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the last one, death of the firstborns. So when you're finished, you have ten drops on your, you know, looks like drops of blood. This is so that the Jews do not drink the whole cup of praise, you know, happy for themselves, for the plagues, they don't want to drink a whole cup of joy because the Egyptians suffered greatly from those plagues, didn't they? Even though they were spared, the Egyptians suffered. So they're removing some of the joy from the cup of joy, the cup of praise. I forgot to explain that yesterday. And then the question is asked, is, the, is it for these judgments that we praise God? And the answer is given by the host, no. For God loved the Egyptians even as he loved us. But it is for God's infinite mercies that we praise him. And it's at this point in the Seder that um, they sing a very happy song called Dayenu. And it goes on and on. That's by the Maccabees. Isn't that a great name for a singing group? <laughs> um, and I want to read you the words, because it's in Hebrew, that they sing. Let's see, where did I have it? Oh, it's in this book. The words Dayenu means it would have been enough. It would have been enough. Now, when I read something, then I want you to follow it up by saying Dayenu. This is the words to the song in English. Had he brought us out of Egypt and not executed judgment against them, it would have been enough. Had he executed judgment against them and not destroyed their idols, it would have been enough. 
Had he destroyed their idols and not slain their firstborn, it would have been enough. Had he slain their firstborn and not given us their possessions, had he given us their possessions and not divided the sea for us, had he divided the sea for us and not brought us through on dry ground, it would have been enough. Had he brought us through dry ground and not drowned our oppressors in it, it would have been enough. Had he drowned our oppressors in it and not sustained us in the wilderness for 40 years, it would have been enough. Had he sustained us in the wilderness 40 years and not fed us manna, had he fed us manna and not given us the Sabbath, had he given us the Sabbath and not brought us to Mount Sinai, had he brought us to Mount Sinai and not given us the law, had he given us the law and not brought us unto the land of Israel, had he brought us into the land of Israel and not built the temple for us, and then it says, how much more so multiplied many times are the favors that our God has bestowed upon us. Isn't that just like God? He did so much more, exceeding abundantly above all that they could have ever asked or thought. Same thing with you and I. Same thing with you and I. All right. Um, then after the joyous singing, the host makes special mention of the three biblically commanded ingredients that are on the Passover um, Seder plate. The, and that, of course, is the roasted uh, lamb, shank, <laughs> shank bone, shank bone of the lamb, the bitter herbs. He lifts up the bitter herbs, and I've already explained, but at this point he explains what this is for, you know, what it symbolizes and everything. He lifts up the parsley, and he lifts up the unleavened bread, the matzah, but one, and he explains what it all means. But one thing he does not lift up is the what? The shank bone. He does not lift it off the plate. He does not lift it up. It is forbidden for the host to lift up the shank bone. Um... Because to do so would give the lamb bone the significance of a real sacrifice. Therefore, it remains on the plate to show that it's only a symbol, only a symbol of the Passover lamb. So the Jewish practice of not holding up the lamb bone, this is very, very significant even though they don't realize it. <laughs> you see, Jesus has completed the work of redemption. What's my favorite word? Te telestai. He said, it is finished. He was lifted up once for all, right? One time for all. That's why a crucifix is wrong. To see Jesus still lifted up and for him to be sacrificed over and over again in the mass which is what they're doing, is wrong. He was sacrificed once for all. He will not ever be lifted up again. Amen? Amen. And so to lift up the lamb bone would be a picture of re-sacrificing the lamb of God. Then the first part of the hallel is sung, and the hallel consists of Psalms 13 through 113 through 118. That's where the word hallelujah comes from. And at this point, they would sing um, Psalms 113 and 114 and then drink from the next cup of the, the vine 
And this goes along with uh, the second promise where God said in Exodus 6, 6, I will rid you out of their bondage, out of Egypt's bondage, and everybody drinks again. Cup of redemption. Then uh, everybody would again, they really keep clean, okay? Everybody would wash their hands again, dip their fingers in the water and dry them because they're um, about to... Well, they're showing respect for dealing with the next item, which would be the unleavened bread. So they wash their hands before they touch it. And the host breaks one of the unleavened loaves and pronounces a blessing over it. And then he gives a piece of this broken unleavened bread. What he does is he takes it and he puts a little bit of bitter herb i'm gonna put a little horseradish on it and then that's not all then he puts a little bit of jiffy peanut butter on it (laughs) jiffy peanut butter (laughs) and then a little bit of parsley i'm gonna be really kind because i only put a drop of parsley on here and he gives this to someone at the table (laughs) no she's already been my guinea pig who would like to have the sop come on nicole Brave girl. This is called the sop. You just volunteered to be Judas. <laughs> there you go. Let's watch her eat. Is it good? Would you like some wine? It's spicy, but not bad. The peanut butter calms down. Right, the peanut butter, yeah. It's supposed to first be bitter and then kind of sweet afterwards. I taste it worse. Good. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Now, some people wonder, yeah, great volunteer. But some people wonder why John didn't do something about Judas when Jesus told him you know he said who is it that's going to betray you and Jesus said the one to whom I give the sop well then he gave the sop to Judas and people said well why didn't John say wait a minute wait a minute we got to deal with Judas you know and told the other why did he tell why didn't he tell everybody else well because one of those little sop sandwiches is then given to everybody at the table it was given first to Judas because he was on the Lord's left you know, reached his right hand, gave it to Judas, but then it went around. He gave one to each each person. So you all want a piece? <laughs> You're not as brave as she is, are you? Uh, so that's the reason he was a little bit confused about that. But that's the sop. Okay, then when the sop is distributed to every person, the meal is then eaten. The whole meal is eaten. This is the point where everybody gets to pig out, okay? And they, they will, and I've been to Passovers because I... Um, had a boyfriend in college who was Jewish. He's actually the one who led me to the Lord. And his mother, oh my goodness, could she cook. And I love Jewish food. She would always prepare brisket. It was so delicious. Of course, lamb and chopped liver that I didn't care for. Gefelta fish, I didn't care for. But matzo ball soup, oh, yummy. And all kinds of pastries and things that didn't have yeast in it. Didn't, couldn't, they couldn't have anything with leaven in it. So they have special cookies without leaven. Anyway, then after they all eat, then their hands are washed again. Clean, clean people. The next, well, I'm only on the third cup, so I don't know what I did wrong. I'm supposed to drink this one again. The third cup is drunk, which reminds them of God's third promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And this is called the cup of redemption. How did Jesus redeem man? By outstretching his arms on an old rugged cross. (laughs) This is important because this third cup was the cup that Jesus associated. He connected with the Lord's Supper when he said, this cup 
is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So that's the cup he associated with the Lord's Supper. And then comes time. Uh, Wendy, you want to volunteer to do this part? They, uh, they have a prayer for the coming of Elijah. Now, what I want you to do is run to that door. They will get a child. No, this, yeah, this door. They'll get a child to run to the door. Everybody's excited and they're all anticipating that maybe this year Elijah is going to visit them. They have a place at the table set for Elijah. And the child runs to the door and opens the door and looks for Elijah. Is he there, Wendy? Oh, and everybody says, maybe next year. Okay, thank you. That was great. You did a good job. (laughs) And then everyone sings together the second part of the Hallel, which would be verses, Psalm chapters 115 to 118. And in those words are included these words. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. They're singing that, and yet they still do not recognize that the cornerstone they rejected is Jesus Christ, who was already heralded by one who came in the spirit of Elijah. And who was he? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. All right, now is the time that the children come in and I did it again. We already had the kids look for the afikoman. Now would actually be the time they would search for the afikoman. And the child who receives it gets the reward, and we already did that. And then according to the rabbi's instructions, everyone around the Passover table must eat. He brought me the uh, afikoman that he found. And then the host takes it out, and everybody is required by the Jewish rabbis, say this, to eat a piece of the afikoman, which takes the place of the Passover lamb. In fact, they say that the Seder, the whole service, cannot end until each person, each participant, has eaten a small piece of the afikoman. So I'm going to pass this around. I know it's kind of not, but you want to break off a little piece? All right, pretend you eat. Everybody go. Okay. (laughs) Everybody would have a piece. Isn't that significant too? What does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of the Lord's Supper? Yes, it does. The rabbis say that by eating the afikoman, they are remembering the lamb. Yeah, well, that's exactly what we do when we take the Lord's Supper and eat the little wafer we are, or bread. We're remembering him broken for us, the lamb. All right, then a benediction song is sung. And one more time, everybody at the table raises their glass as they drink from the fourth cup. And this final cup, which is called the cup of acceptance, is to commemorate God's promise, Exodus 6, 7. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you your God. It's interesting to notice that when the Lord celebrated the last Passover that he transitioned into the Lord's Supper with his disciples on Passover when he died, he did not drink from the fourth cup. They did, but he did not because his disciples represented Israel and he knew Israel was not going to accept him. He said instead, you know, I look forward to the time when I can drink this cup with you in my father's kingdom. So in the millennial kingdom, he will drink from the cup of acceptance with Israel 
because she will then have accepted him. All right, well, then after drinking the fourth cup, then the Seder draws to a close. Happy songs. I mean, there's a whole lot of songs in one of these books that they sing. They sing all these songs together. It's such a good family time. And there's a lot of festivity that goes on into the night. But the service is officially ended with one final prayer for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And a prayer that I'm going to read to you. Let me see, where is it? That the host closes with this prayer. So if you'd bow with me. O God of the first and of the last, God of all creatures, master of all generations, who leads the world with loving kindness and his creatures with mercy, God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who supports the falling and upholds the bowed down, to you alone we give thanks. From Egypt you redeemed us, O Lord our God, and from the house of bondage you liberated us. In famine you fed us, and in time of plenty you sustained us. From the sword you saved us, from pestilence you delivered us, and from severe sickness you spared us. To this day your mercies have helped us, and your loving kindness did not abandon us. Do not forsake us ever, we pray you, O Lord our God. Who is like unto you, and who can equal you? Who can compare with you, O God, great, mighty, revered, supreme God, master of heaven and earth? Let us praise and worship, glorify and bless your holy name. As it was said by David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And we, your people, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.